Hey there, and welcome to the Box Office Watts podcast, where we keep watch on how much money movies are making and why. This is the show recapping the weekend of December 17th through the 19th, 2021. My name is Paulo, and I'm your host. Ladies, gentlemen, and others, we knew it was coming. We knew it would be huge. We knew it would outpace everything this year so far in a single weekend. But we didn't know just how monumental it would be. There's no use trying to bury the lead here. Spider-Man No Way Home has completely smashed all expectations with record-breaking opening weekend numbers in the middle of a pandemic and COVID Omicron surge. The total numbers for the weekend domestically, $260.1 million in 4,336 theaters. Per theater average, $59,995. That sneaks past The Force Awakens opening weekend at $247 million, also taking the all-time December weekend title, and also Avengers Infinity Wars uh, opening weekend at $257 million. This is the second highest domestic opening weekend of all time behind Avengers Endgame $357 million. Now for 2021, over the course of a single weekend, it's leapt to the top of the domestic box office chart ahead of Sang-Chi's lifetime total of $224 million. With this opening weekend number alone, it's already 16th out of 27 total films in the MCU, just ahead of Captain America, The Winter Soldier's entire domestic run. And of course, it is our first 100 million opener post-pandemic, which was accomplished with pre-sales alone. The sixth ever film to break $100 million in pre-sales, behind Endgame at 190 million, The Force Awakens 140, The Last Jedi's 120, Rise of Skywalker 115, and Infinity 105. Now, looking at the day-by-day breakdown, I'm seeing Thursday previews coming in at about 50 million or so, which added to the Thursday, Friday actuals come in for 121.9 million counted for Friday. Saturday saw a 39% drop to $73.9 million, followed by a pretty solid 13% drop on Sunday for $64.2 million. According to numbers from AMC, more than 2 million people watched the film on Saturday globally, the most tickets the chain has sold since Christmas 2019. In addition, about 31% of total spend this weekend went to IMAX and premium large format screens, with IMAX globally making $36.2 million, $22 million domestically. Looking internationally, No Way Home made $340.8 million in 60 markets for a $600.9 million global debut, the third highest behind Avengers Endgame's $1.22 billion and Avengers Infinity Wars' $640.5 million. Notably, that Endgame number does include China with $330 million, while both No Way Home and Infinity War opened globally without China. This does make No Way Home the third film to ever open above $600 million globally, and Sony's highest open ever, obviously. Uh, in Mexico, with $33 million, Brazil, $18 million, Argentina, $7 million, Saudi Arabia, $5 million, Ecuador, $3.8, Ukraine, $2.5, and Turkey, $1.5. Those countries all saw their biggest opening weekend ever. The top five international markets for this film were the UK, 42.3 million US dollars, the aforementioned Mexico, Korea at 23.6 million, France, 19.2, Australia, 18.8. In fact, in the UK, this actually out opened No Time to Die's opening day, 7.6 million pounds against 4.8 million. Now, some other countries, India's opening day had it on pace with 30 million crore, um, their local currency, versus Infinity Wars 31 crore, and that's with 50% occupancy limits. Um, in fact, and this isn't quite actually uh, domestic, this isn't quite um, uh, you know international, it's kind of under domestic numbers, but Canada made up 7% of total box office with 50% capacity limits, which is pretty stunning. 
Honestly, I thought I would have more to say, but frankly, there's not too much to say, is there? It's a massive overperformance, most, and it beats most, if not all, estimates on how far this could go from the industry. Sony, for some reason, decided to really lowball us with $130 million domestic, uh, which is laughable in hindsight. Uh, the $200 million budget for this one is easily taken care of by now, even considering massive advertising costs and theatrical splits. It also got a rare A-plus cinema score to go with its 94% critics, 99% audience on Rotten Tomatoes, and 72% on Metacritic. Again, this crazy wild number was achieved during a pandemic and as cases of Omicron are rising across the world. So, obviously this is an amazing weekend. What do you have to look forward to? Well, things are looking great. Holiday breaks are starting this week for students. Uh, some are saying domestically could be have hit $300 million by today. Uh, you know, to, uh, as I'm recording this, Tuesday, if possible. Uh, $400 million by Friday and $500 million by the end of Christmas weekend or off of this $260 million start would be, you know, pretty reasonable. Um, other holiday blockbusters like The Force Awakens, Rogue One, The Last Jedi, and Rise of Skywalker made between $213 and $400 million. Um, obviously, $400 going to... Uh, the Force Awakens, but that's between the Monday after the release and New Year's Day. So, you know, definitely some one way this month, but, um, not to mention the rest of January as well. Um, internationally, No Way Home notably has not yet released in Japan, but pre-sales broke the records for Homecoming and Far From Home by a margin of 300% each and could potentially break Endgame's full run, given the country's love for Spider-Man and the relative uh, lack of performance of Endgame against uh, Detective Conan opening weekend. Again, we don't know if a China release will be set, but $1 billion, I think, is a lot globally at this point. I think the $1.5 might be in question depending on whether or not China can pull through. Now, as far as the rest of the franchise, you know, moving forward, uh, obviously I have a lot of thoughts. I saw the film myself uh, on Friday night, and I'll save all those for the, uh, you know, for the end of the episode. But, you know, Spider-Man reportedly will be lent back to the MCU, according to producer Amy Pascal. And they're also working on a new trilogy uh, for films for Spider-Man. I could say more, but again, that might be spoilery. So, you know, I actually will split my What I've Been Watching segment uh, into two, some actual films I've been watching, as well as Spider-Man No Way Home. Uh, Spider-Man No Way Home will happen after the end credits and outro music to you know avoid any accidental spoilers here all right so let's look real quick at the rest of the domestic box office uh, in second place, we have Encanto dropping 35%, pretty solid for $6.4 million in 3,525 theaters, per theater average of 1,839, cumulative total domestically of 81.5 million. Not a bad drop again considering Spider-Man, but you know I guess that's good counting programming for the kids. Uh, Aeronastly, it's made 93.5 million for a cool $175 million worldwide lifetime. In third place, Spielberg's West Side Story tumbled down with a scary 65% drop in 2,820 theaters per theater average of... Uh Oh, sorry, that'd be, that'd be 3,000. Um, for a per theater average of 1,297, running total of 18.2 million. It seems that even Mr. Movie himself, Steven Spielberg, couldn't pull off another The Greatest Showman-type miracle for West Side Story. We'll have to see how the Christmas and New Year weekends do for it, but I'm not hopeful. Uh, globally, adding on another 9.1 million or so puts it at 27.3 lifetime against a $100 million budget. In fourth place, Ghostbusters Afterlife drops 52% in 3,282 theaters for 3.4 million uh, total and a per theater average of 1040 for a running desk domestic total of 117.2 million. International brings another 56.4 million for a 173.6 million lifetime globally. Finally, in fifth place, we have a new opener this weekend, Searchlights. Uh, 
Nightmare Alley by Guillermo del Toro, starring Bradley Cooper, opened in 2,145 theaters for a measly $2.8 million and a per theater average of $1,311. This seems like a baffling move by Searchlight, also owned by Disney, uh, to hop straight to a wide release for Nightmare Alley, especially given it had some decent awards buzz going into it, and that may be killed off by this lackluster performance. I think while I trust Disney with the big blockbusters, I'd be a bit worried if I were an indie or auteur filmmaker uh, with those smaller labels with you know how they're handling those rollouts. I think the plan to do counter-programming against Spider-Man kind of failed here, um, you know, given just I think how all-engrossing Spider-Man was of pretty much every demographic. Uh, with a budget of $60 million, it looks like it'll be joining West Side Story as uh, having a long road ahead to profitability and further add to the worry that adult-centric films may not have a place in wide releases in theater anymore. Uh, Cinema score of B and Rotten Tomatoes of 80% for critics, 63% for audience, aren't the most encouraging either. Now, outside the top five, we obviously, with Spider-Man, you know, being super profitable, a lot of movie theaters would want to, you know, open up as many screens as possible for Spider-Man. So, we saw House of Gucci, Clifford, and Resident Evil all dropping 1,500 theaters, and Eternals and King Richard dropping another 1,000 each. Uh, Liquid Pizza, on the other hand, is hanging in there with four theaters total still going wide uh, this coming weekend with a per theater average of 21,474. Now, overall for the box office, we saw $281 million, uh, you know, finally beating the equivalent weekend in 2019 for the first time. Now, of course, that's something like 92% of what of that number uh, is attributed to Spider-Man's total. Um, as far as this weekend coming up, with the Christmas holiday upon us, again, a number of films are coming out uh, to be opening or going wide. Uh, today, as this episode comes out on Wednesday, we have 20th Century's The Kingsman, a prequel to the spy comedy action series forecasted by box office pros to make 10 to $15 million. Sing 2, the sequel to the surprisingly popular Universal animated jukebox film, also opens wide with an expected $25 to $35 million as Encanto comes to Disney Plus after its 30-day window. Uh, the Matrix Resurrections, the fourth Matrix film, comes day and date to HBO Max. Box Office Pros has it forecasted for $35 to $50 million or so, though the, the claims that, it, that it's the boldest sequel since The Last Jedi and the day and date uh, situation may make that estimate seem high to me for an HBO Max film. Uh, we also have an Amazon Studios adult drama, The Tender Bar, starring Ben Affleck going wide. No estimate on that. Um, and then on Christmas Day itself on Saturday, the aforementioned Licorice Pizza opens up to an additional 800 theaters or so. Uh, meanwhile, uh, football film American Underdog, The Kurt Warner Story, starring Zachary Levi from Lionsgate, is forecast to make 8 to $13 million, while Sony's Denzel Washington-led drama, A Journal for Jordan, is forecasted to make 4 to $9 million. Now, before we look at some in international numbers and benchmarks, uh, a quick word from Friends of the Show, Jeff and Pierre. Now, this is going to be a weird roundabout tangent, but bear with me here. So, Jeff and Pierre have a show called Kicking with Kendrick, where they talk about the films of Anna Kendrick. Now, if you watched Stephen Colbert's The Late Show last week, or saw it on the YouTube, you'll know that Anna Kendrick showed up in, inexplicably in Stephen Colbert's rap tribute to the Lord of the Rings trilogy, which celebrated its 20th anniversary um, last weekend. Now, specifically, they had a line that goes, quote, Best troll ever, don't you forget. That's right, Anna Kendrick. Pitch perfect ain't shit. Now, end quote. They also had a line of, quote, Worldwide gross of almost three billy. That's 60 times what they made on Free Willy. End quote. And that's 16 and not 60. Uh, well, you know, I couldn't go let that go without fact-checking those numbers. 
First, Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Rings. 20 years ago, it opened to $47.2 million before ending its worldwide run at $891 million. In, 2020, in 2002, uh, the Two Towers opened to $62 million before ending its global run at $919 million. And then finally, in Return of the Kings in 2003, opening to $72.6 million domestically, it ended its global run at $1.12 billion. That puts its global total at $2.93 billion, so it is indeed almost $3 billion. And then as far as for Free Willy, uh, the first one in 1993 made $153 million globally on a $20 million budget and a $7.8 million domestic opening. Not bad. Uh, technically, though, if you're going off of the first Free Willy alone, that would actually be closer to a 19 times. The, the Lord of the Rings total would be closer to 19 times that total. So I did not actually realize that there was actually a trilogy of Free Willy, uh, with Free Willy 2 in 1995 making about $30 million, and then Free Willy 3 making only $3 million. Talk about diminishing returns. Uh, in any case, looking at the Free Willy trilogy, that's closer to 15.6 times, uh, you know, 15.6 let, um, or the Lord of the Rings is 15.6 times the Free Willy trilogy. So close to, you know, not quite 16x, but close enough for the purposes of rhyming and meter. Anyway, finally, looking at his claim that Lord of the Rings is the number one trilogy, there's you know arguably a bit of debate there, at least when it comes to pure box office numbers. Uh, the Star Wars sequel trilogy, starting with The Force Awakens, uh, you know has made about four point five billion dollars to date, so a bit more than the almost three billion of Lord of the Rings. However, Lord of the Rings is arguably the more critically acclaimed, both in general review status as well as from a awards perspective. Uh, the three films won a stunning 17 out of 30 nominations, with Return of the Kings going a perfect 11 for 11, stunning the best, including Best Picture, uh, tying with Titanic and Ben-Hur, and having a better nomination win ratio. Uh, be sure to check out Jeff and Pierre's other show, Classic Movies Live, for other Oscar contenders. Now, interestingly, in the list of highest-grossing trilogies, the Hobbit franchise comes in second with $2.91 billion, behind Lord of the Rings $2.93 billion. And important to this weekend, the Raimi Spider-Man trilogy is fourth with $2.5 billion. So, you know, if you go purely by box office, uh, Star, Wars sequ Star Wars sequel, Lord of the Rings, Hobbit, and then Spider-Man, uh, Raimi Spider-Man series. Now, you, know, you could argue that Lord of the Rings is, should be above that in terms of overall because of the number of awards, but, you know, we do have, uh, this, relevant to this weekend, um, the no, the Tom Holland uh, trilogy of Spider-Man films uh, could potentially surpass the Lord of the Rings trilogy here. Now, it could very well get to $3 billion total. You know, Far From Home and Home Coming Together already made $2 billion by themselves, and, another, and you know, another billion, which again seems likely from No Way Home, would put it over Lord of the Rings' total. And to bring it back to full circle to you know, Anna Kendrick and Pitch Perfect, that franchise has made $588.9 billion across three movies. Respectable against the $91 million budget across the three films, but still no three billion. Alright, that's a long enough tangent, here's Jeff and Pierre. This is Classic Movies Live, the pre-recorded show where we talk about movies that just came out. I'm your host, Jeff, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Pierre. Pierre, what movie are we talking about today? Jeff, what are you talking about? We're recording an ad. Oh, is this an ad for Kicking It With Kendrick, the show where every week we bring on a different expert to talk about the filmography of Anna Kendrick? No, no, this is an ad for Losing It Over Leo, the show where we chronologically go through Leonardo DiCaprio's career from childhood to his Oscars. Are you entirely certain this isn't an ad for CML Classics, episodes of Classic Movies Live that we recorded two years ago? Well, I guess it's an ad for all four at this point. 
Well, you know what? That just works out because you can find all four of those over on the Heatwave Radio channel on Spotify. Nice. All right. So as far as uh, international numbers go, aside from No Way Home, you know, there's a couple of benchmarks that got crossed or almost crossed. Uh, House of Gucci was able to cross the $100 million global mark at 109.1 million. Uh, the Eternals is less than half a million away from crossing 400 million at 399.7 million. Uh, Venom Let There Be Carnage is at 498.1 million, just shy of 500 million. Uh, in addition, Matrix Resurrections, again, coming out later this week, or uh, later today, actually, um, or should be out today, potentially, I guess. Um, because it's coming out 3 a.m. Eastern. Anyway, Matrix Resurrections actually opened internationally this past weekend in seven markets to 9.2 million total, including 3.9 million from Russia and 3.9 million from Japan. Now in China, the most notable news here is that Lake Changjin finally is no longer in the top five, dropping to sixth, making only about half a million dollars to its 904.5 million dollar total. I'm not going to go through the entire top five, but the number one opener in China this weekend was a remake of the 2002 Denzel Washington film titled John Q, which in China is called Fireflies in the Sun, making 554.2 million dollars in its opening. Somehow, it's billed as a sequel to a thriller, Seep Without a Separate, that adapted a 2013 Indian film, uh, Drisham. Um, I'll skip, again, it's going to skip over the rest of the top five for the time being, but the other China news is, of course, we're waiting for the Spider-Man release date, which, you know, is still up in the air. Now, as far as headlines beyond the numbers, a couple of dates for 20, 2023 uh, films. Uh, Blue Beetle, a Latino-led superhero film from DC that was originally an HBO Max exclusive, is now getting a theatrical release August 18th, similar slot to Guardians of the Galaxy or Suicide Squad films of the past. Um, a little bit earlier in the year, the 10th Fast and Furious film is being pushed back from April to 7th, 2023 to May 19th. As of right now, it's in the same month as Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 and The Little Mermaid, so that's going to be a bit of a bloodbath. Um, there were a number of interviews with some various directors about their franchises and where they want to go into the future with them. Uh, Robert Rodriguez, director of the Battle Angel movie, um, is in an interview about his work about the Boba Fett Disney Plus series, has indicated he's hoping to make a sequel with James Cameron sometimes in the future. You know, Elite the Battle Angel wasn't the most profitable film, but it also wasn't entirely a bomb either. Uh, speaking of James Cameron, in an interview about the upcoming Avatar 2 films that are like a decade removed from the original at this point, he's apparently very conscious of how much a gamble it is trying to make four f- upcoming films, you know, in a, especially in the post-COVID world, and trying to see you know, whether the films are still relevant. And then going back to another Disney-owned film, The Kingsman, with the prequel coming up this weekend, apparently Matthew Vaughn, director of this series, is going to be ne- negotiating with Disney if they want to make The Kingsman 3. Notably, Vaughn actually owns the rights to adapt the franchise, so if Disney doesn't want to do the sequel, um, you know, they very, he very well could take it to another studio. And then this just in today, you know, the trailer for another Disney film that's kind of been pushed off, um, you know, the sequel to the he- the, the the Poirot film, Agatha Christie Poirot film, um, you know, The Orient Express, um, The Death of the Nile coming out, um, you know, that actually had been kind of held up because, you know, one, pandemic, obviously, but two, a bit of controversy with, uh, you know, actor Arnie Hammer starring in there. Um, you know, it seems that Disney has decided to push forward with, I believe, um, an April release date, um, which, you know, is, uh, you know, 
I think I feel like it might be them trying to dump it. You know, they have a huge cast. Um, you know, Gal Gadot is here as well. Leticia Wright. You know, just all of the controversy going on here. So, but it, they're not. It doesn't look like they're planning on trying to reshoot the film, um, which seemed not feasible due to COVID situation um, and the schedule of all of the cast. Um, and they're just gonna kind of push forward with it and see kind of what happens here. So that'll be definitely an interesting one to keep an eye out on. And, you know, finally, there is a report from analysis film Gower Street Analytics that while it's unlikely 2022 will be, you know, a return to pre-pandemic 2019 levels of about $40 billion or so, they hope and forecast that 2023, uh, 2022 will be about $33.2 billion U.S. dollars, about 58% up uh, this year versus uh, versus this year, um, you know, estimated about $21 billion. Uh, specifically, they forecast that North America will double from $4.4 billion this year to $9.2 billion in 2022, and then China will grow from 7.2 billion this year to 8.2 billion, while the rest of the ro- world continues to grow from 9.4 billion to 15.8 billion worldwide. Now, of course, this all happens despite rising cases of Omicron across the world and across the U.S., potentially shutting down theaters. Um, I think I saw reports that the province of Quebec in Canada is going to be shutting down theaters this week. Anecdotally, you know, here in New York, we've seen positivity test rates doubling every three days or so. You know, it was 3% or so two Thursdays ago, and then, you know, 6% last Sunday, and then 12% right before No Way Home. My wife and I were trying to get a dog sitter to, for something on Saturday, and, you know, we two of the them we reached out to had said they tested positive and didn't want to take the dog because of that you know if you're walking around the city you know there's cvs's and walgreens kind of all over the place but you know and and p- these pop-up testing sites um you know trying to people trying to get the pcr test um you know the, t- the take-home tests have been completely sold out the pcr tests are apparently have lines of two to three even four hours long and multiple days backlog of trying to get the results back um you know luckily i was able to get a test and, and it came back negative before seeing no way home and you know my wife and i stayed double masked the entire time with no concessions you know i obviously knew that no way home wouldn't have its opening weekend depressed by how much hype there was going into it but i'm curious to see if a rise in omicron cases may depress the second weekend numbers potentially even with the holiday numbers to boost them you know i think i saw as of about 45% drop. Um, so we'll see how that rolls out for the rest of the country. Now, before I get into what I've been watching, again, I'm going uh, again, Spot- Spider-Man, I'm going to leave that at the end of the episode. Um, but there are a couple of other shows I wanted to talk about. So first off, in anticipation of the fourth Matrix film coming out this week, I finally got around to watching the first Matrix film from 99 in in, in like straight through um, I've seen bits and pieces of it you know here and there it's kind of hard to avoid but looking back on it as a whole you know it's kind of amazing how well it stands up over the years you know on the production side of things you know the visual effects and stunt work and cinematography really hold up even 20 years on uh, the story and themes and philosophy are fairly solid and you know even take on I think new meaning now than they did back in 99 when you know social media uh, has kind of changed the way we think about the world and you know everyone's talking about moving into the metaverse now, as a standalone film, there are some you know questions I had you know you know without without having seen the sequels about you know, Neo's role as the one and why he had abilities he did and from a, and from a hard explanation sci-fi perspective those were kind of like plot holes but uh, those aside you know and, and kind of for the larger themes you know of, of religion and whatnot and destiny. I think it's easy to see why the film is so revered and influential for multiple reasons. I can kind of look set aside the plot holes for now. Uh, here's to hoping that my watch through of the other two Matrix films as well as the Animatrix are just as good. 
And now, this isn't the film per se, but it does have a box office. Uh, so it's that Saturday I was talking about, my wife and I got tickets to go see To Kill a Mockingbird on Saturday on Broadway. Uh, this adaptation was written by Aaron Sorkin and stars Jeff Daniels as Atticus Finch. Um, now, I know I, I had read the original book all the way back in like middle school or something, but I don't remember every detail. Um, but the screenplay here, you know, as you can expect from Aaron Sorkin, was witty and top-notch. And you know, I'm not sure about my feelings how... I, I'm not sure about my feelings, how it deals with race, uh, especially in a post-George Floyd world, mostly from the angle of, I'm not sure how far if it goes far enough or not, but from an artistic accomplishment perspective, I think Jeff Daniels really delivers here, you know, it's, the the, the, the screenplay is witty, it's very, you know, it, it you know, it's, it's surprisingly a funny, uh, a, a funny, um, a, a funny screenplay. Um, you know, it definitely like like it changes the plot to be you know instead of very scout focused. Even though C ends up being the narrator, still it's very much focused on Alec as kind of like his his perspective on how he comes to terms you know with with racism within his own community and his belief in in you know being being kind and and, and having faith and, and optimist in his fellow man um, and kind of like you know how that comes together. Um, I, I will say I think the one thing I missed from the books was that there's definitely in the books a lot more um, depiction, I think, of life within, you know, just daily life, which, you know, I guess is harder to do in in any adaptation, right, especially in a two-and-a-half-hour adaptation. Um, but I really, you know, miss some of those elements of really getting a sense of, like, what the community was like, especially you know, some of the black the black community as well. I feel like that, you know, that was somewhat lacking here. Um, but obviously, you know, you, you can only adapt so much here. So overall, still would definitely recommend it if you get a chance to see it on Broadway, um, especially if Jeff Daniels is still in the role. Now, as I've noted, my thoughts on No Way Home will come after the outro, so a final warning for anyone who hasn't seen it and wants to avoid spoilers. Before the outro, though, one final note, you know, this is probably going to be the last episode of 2021. I'm going to be on vacation this holiday weekend, and I think I want a week off next week uh, before the new year, you know, just to chill and decompress. You know, we'll be back probably that first weekend or maybe the one after that, depending on how I'm feeling, of the new year. You know, I don't think there are any major movies coming out, so, you know, we'll be able to talk about the holiday films, you know, how The Matrix and, uh, and, and all of them do you know this this coming weekend um you know i know last year i did a special episode to commemorate you know my first year of podcasting with the you know the 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 year of 2020 uh, as the box office into the tune of the night the night before christmas um i don't really have the bandwidth this year unfortunately to do something creative like that i uh, still hoping i'll be able to you know do so next year um that said thank you very much you know and it was a bit of a weird year so i think it did deserve like a little bit of a standout you know that being said thanks very i want to thank you as a listener very much for listening to me throughout the year you know and you know if you have been listening indeed it's my you know, it is my first time producing a podcast from straight from january to december on a fairly pretty consistent we all pretty much weekly basis and you know your support means the world to me so again thanks with that i think that's a wrap on this episode and for 2021 let me know what your hopes are for the box office in 2022 via email at boxofficewatchpodcast at zeal.com or on twitter at bowatchpodcast our shows on spotify itunes and google play make sure you subscribe leave a review or at the very least tell a friend that any of that helps if you're feeling extra generous consider supporting us on patreon that makes me not only this show but all the other podcasts that i need to work on uh links to all that in our show notes numbers used since the show come from dnumbers.com intro and outro music from kevin macleod you can find his stuff at incompetech.filmmaster.io editing production by Ninja Boy Media till next year this has been the Box Office Watch Podcast and remember our watch goes on Happy New Year everyone
this is my post-credit stinger thing here. All right, so Spider-Man No Way Home. Uh, so I saw this 9.30 on Friday, uh, completely full theater. Um, you know, they definitely had added more theaters. And, you know, uh, what what to say, what to say. So, you know, basic stuff production-wise, I think pretty solid overall. I You know, it's it's just basic Marvel stuff. The action was pretty well choreographed. If, you know, the, uh, the, end, the ending, you know, tended to be, you know, Marvel, not... Marvel, you know, big CGI thing or whatever to some degree, sorry, whatever. Um, but production well, overall pretty good. Um, you know, I will say I really enjoyed Tom Holland's Spider-Man uh, this time around. Um, you know, I think uh, he, and I'll get into this a little bit. And uh, also, I'm not, I don't really have a skit like I do for the rest of the episodes. It's kind of like off the top of my head with some, with a couple of, of bullet points that I have. So I really like Tom Holland's Spider-Man this time around. Um, you know, I think he's been, you know, charming and fun, but, you know, I don't think he really and and aside from that one scene in the first Tom Holland Spider-Man movie, Homecoming, um, you know, when in, in his face down with the vulture, I can't really think of any real scenes that, uh, and may, maybe like his his climactic showdown with Mysterio toward the end of, of of Far From Home, you know, those those two aside, those aren't really a lot of moments of I think where he got to really sew off his chops. You know, he's definitely charismatic, charismatic as a Spider-Man while still keeping that dorky energy um, as Peter Parker. So, you know, but I, I think here there are definitely some real emotional moments that really let him, you know, flex his 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 his, his thespian spots. Um, spots. Um, you know, I will say, you know, as a Filipino, I definitely appreciated uh, the scenes with Ned and his Lola. Um with t- speaking to Galog, and you know they weren't subtitles, but I was able to understand it. So I'm curious what that experience was for people who didn't understand understand Filipino. Um, now you know, getting to the bulk of the spoilers, right? So we all you know worst kept secret, worst kept secret in Hollywood, but you know an- the, this appearance of Andrew Garfield and Tommy McGuire was just Seth's kiss. Um, you know I like you know I haven't felt that energy in the movie theater since. Uh, Wow, like since since Endgame, frankly speaking, I mean, you know, just when they came up, you know, I, I frankly like couldn't hear the dialogue on screen. Just people were cheering so much, and you know, some other you know ca- small small callbacks, right? Like you know, whenever any of the villains from the other um, the Spider-Man films came up, you know, they were they were pretty they they were pretty good. More on them in a second, and got a good response. Um, you know, some of the memes. You know, I'm something of a scientist myself. The power of the sun in my hand, and then you know, uh, Charlie Cox showing up as uh, Daredevil and and doing Daredevil things as his as his lawyer was you know pretty solid as well so you know i think all of those were great but yeah i mean andrew garfield and and Tommy mcguire were just you know i th- one i think they gave a lot of like i'm glad that they were not just a cameo for cameo's sake you know coming up for five minutes kind of like at the end like kind of like ghostbusters afterlife to some degree they had a crucial part in the story and they interacted with and, and and so on so you know i think that's part of it um speaking about uh you know I speak. I think you know Tobey Maguire. You know, reportedly was I think the last Spider Man uh, to to come back negotiation wise, and you know I, you can tell like he he's definitely doing this you know for the fans or something, but he doesn't really want to continue doing it. And his Spider Man kind of reflects that, right? Like you know he's working on things, he's come to peace with being Spider Man, and and so on. Um, Whereas you know Andrew Garfield, I think you, I think he got the raw steal of all of the Spider Man here, right? Like he had the two films, and then you know he ended up you know getting recast by by Tom Holland. So he never got his third film in his trilogy, right? Um, but the acting here, you know, you can tell he really loved being Spider Man and really brought his all here. And I've heard a lot of people say, and myself included, that they want to see the Amazing Spider Man three with with uh, Andrew Garfield, and you know love to see him come back get his third film potentially, maybe be Sony's uh, Spider Man while Tom Holland stays in the MCU potentially. Who knows? Um, um, but yeah, I mean, you know, Andrew Garfield just being able to uh, 
being able to do that, I think, is 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 you know what I, I I'm probably biased because I love Andrew Garfield uh, as an actor. You know, Tick Tick Boom this year alone, you know, is 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 on top of that. And you know, the first film I really watched as a um, as a as a serious film person or trying to be a serious film person was Silence, which starred him as well. So definitely appreciate Andrew Garfield. And you know, he, this acts almost like the third film, right? Like the 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 conclusion to his arc of you know being angry and so on uh, after not being able to save Gwen in the previous films, right? Like that that basically that moment when he saved MJ and and how he car- carried her with his arms instead of using his web um, and his emotion there just really sewn through when he's told by the other Spider-Man like hey you're amazing that's almost a little bit meta, meta commentary right like he had maybe an inferiority comic but people are just saying you know you're the amazing Spider-Man right also yeah they totally did the the I'm Spider-Man you're Spider-Man meme as well right love that as well um, so yeah definitely loved Andrew Garfield and, and just everything there. I, I'd love to go back and just watch this again when I'm not feeling hyped you know just about their presence there uh, as far as the villains you know definitely mo- I, I think the three big one, biggest ones William Defoe amazing as the Goblin I I don't really remember watching the first Spider-Man movie but god like he's just amazing coming back here um, Andrew Molina as as Dr. Octopus you know great as well and then um, and then Jamie Foxx you killing it here I think as well so you know those three definitely stood out I think among the vill- about, among the villains here um, not to you know not to diss the other the others as well but you know definitely those three for sure um, fun little fun little uh, post credit scene with Venom was definitely hilarious as well um, now as far as you know where does Spider-Man go in the future so you know what happened here right I think I'm of mixed minds here right one I think there's something about Tom Holland Spider-Man up to this point that I you know I I enjoyed it but I there was something lacking and I think I think I figured out what it was here right like you know all the other Spider-Mans right like um like like Andrew Garfield and and Tobey Maguire you know they had people they lost right and they had their own Uncle Ben's that they lost right and you never really saw that here with this Spider-Man you know, he never really experienced loss right and that loss for Spider-Man is what pushes them to have that impetus to be a, a a hero right and you know with great power comes great responsibility um i actually went back and rewatched tom holland's first introduction to the mcu and i could have sworn he said great power comes great responsibility but he didn't actually which kind of implies that you know it that he didn't have that, that experience and you know again spoilers but you're this far in um you know you know aunt may's death here uh for tom holland spider-man definitely like uh, you know, is that impetus for him to become, you know, have that real responsibility and really take on the mantle of Spider-Man. So I appreciate that a lot. Um, you know, the, the implication that he, everyone forgets about him, you know, um, and, you know, that means that he is no longer, you know, essentially Iron Man Jr., right? And, you know, at the end of the film, he ends up, you know, living in an apartment and you know, probably it looks like it's in the midtown Manhattan. How, I don't know how he's affording that rent, um, but he, he's living in an apartment in Manhattan and, um living in the apartment in Manhattan and, you know, being a friendly neighborhood Spider-Man, right? He has to sew his own costume. He can't rely on Stark Tech anymore. And so he he's no longer Iron Man Jr., really. He really is that, you know, kind of struggling Spider-Man to some degree um, of the, like, in the, in the vein of the original spy of, of the Spider-Man that I kind of like grew up knowing, right? So I think that's all fine and dandy. And that's what I really am looking forward to seeing from Tom Holland Spider-Man. What I... I'm kind of disappointed in is, you know, while as much as, you know, Spider-Man kind of being by himself and trying and trying to get through, I think and especially I, I guess maybe in like in more recent years, right? Like but Spider-Man having 
and maybe this is a more recent thing, but like you know, Spider-Man having people who he can trust, um, you know, people like in the chair, like Ned and MJ, right? Like even they know who he is, even if it brings things to themselves, and that's part of the dynamic. Um, maybe this goes back to the early years of Spider-Man when he didn't really have that. Um, but you know, I maybe this is because I really enjoyed, especially this film, his chemistry with Ned and MJ, and you know, it feels that if they were to come back at some point in the future, it would feel kind of contrived and almost like eliminating the weight of whatever happens here. It's a return to status quo, which tends to be a Marvel problem to some degree, right? Like, like you know, Zendaya, we know, is a big name, and you know, would they want to do a Spider-Man film without Zendaya and MJ? I mean, that's kind of hard to do, right? Unless, you know, they try to make it that he's trying to win her back. But then the whole point of, like, they're going to Boston and MIT, right? Like, does that mean that they're not like how is the, how are they going to contrive that she comes back, and then are they just going to undo the side, like you know his his moment at the end where he realized like hey maybe they're better off without me right unless the whole point of the next film is them trying to do that but then that feels again I feel like you know this in in a sense right like this film was essentially the origin story of Tom Holland Spider Man that we never got it was an extended an extended origin right um and like that sacrifice that he makes to not have them would feel kind of like not valuable and, and, and it would be a totally I would want it to be different right like the teen movie thing that he's doing now now they're going off to college right you, do you really want to have a teen movie of kids who are in college I don't really know there but yeah I definitely would miss the, the chemistry again especially with Ned and with with MJ for here so I don't know um, overall though you know definitely enjoy the film definitely want to go back and watch it again um, you know maybe when I'm not buzzing with excitement literally when all of that comes in there um Let's see. I definitely, you know, uh, and you know, I'm, I'm interested to see what they go in the future, right? And you know, we have Wong, you know, who's Sorcerer Supreme, um, going to be showing up in uh, the the other post credit scene aside from the Venom one um, for uh, Multiverse of Madness for Doctor Strange movie. So that's looking for that's looking great. And yeah, I mean. You know, and, and who knows, right? Like the fact that we have Charlie Cox here and, you know, I think the um, Kingpin is showing up in the Hawkeye film, or TV series. So maybe, you know, Spider-Man goes and takes on organized crime in the Kingpin here. And that'd be super cool to see. So, you know, definitely, definitely a film I would recommend. I gave it five out of five in the moment. You know, maybe there are nitpicks that over time will bring it down to a four out of five. But the fact that they were able to pull this off and make it as good as it is, you know, amazing. And, you know, give it a five out of five for now. And, hey, I definitely want that amazing Spider-Man 3 with, with Andrew Garfield. But yeah, I think that's overall my thoughts for um, for Spider-Man. Uh, again, happy holidays, everyone. Happy New Year. Stay safe. Stay healthy. Um, and yeah, catch you guys next year.